Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The secret to happiness is freedom, famously quipped one ancient Greek historian. But many over 55s are finding the freedom to do as they wish with their pension savings is not quite delivering the happiness they had hoped for. Since a major shake-up of pension tax rules came into force in 2015, more than $23 billion has been cashed out from the nation's pension pots. Much of this cash has been spent sensibly paying down debt, but also renovating homes, upgrading cars or helping children onto the property ladder. But freedom is coming at a high price for many less experienced investors who have been scammed out of their savings, overpaid tax or ripped off by high charges. The regulator has found that many consumers are struggling to make good decisions due to more complex choices that they face. I'm Joe Cumbo, the FT's pension correspondent, and on today's FT Money podcast, we take a closer look at how people are coping with their pension freedoms. Joining me in the studio today is Claire Walsh, Personal Finance Director with Schroders, Sir Steve Webb, Director of Policy with Royal London and Minister at the time the Pension Freedoms were announced, and Malcolm McLean, Senior Consultant with Barnett Waddingham and a former Chief Executive of the Pensions Advisory Service. Malcolm, if I could start with you and ask you to cast your mind back to 2014, before retirees were set free, as it were, most people were buying annuities, which turned a pot of money into an income for life. But these decisions weren't always the best at the time for people. So what was wrong with the market at the time? Well, many people thought that annuities were delivering very poor value for money. And and that is true to a large extent because uh, for various reasons, annuities were not delivering the sort of uh, income that many people had come to expect from the, the end product of their of their pension saving, and and that was um, that was causing problems. Also, the fact that people were effectively locked in to the annuity and couldn't get out of it uh, was perceived as a problem as well. So the combination of a poor value annuity and having little option but to take out an annuity and suffer the inflexibility of it was causing a lot of consumer upset. And eventually the, the, the government decided they needed to respond to this and they responded to it in 2014 at the April budget by announcing their plans to bring in pension freedoms. So tell us a bit more about what happened with the pension freedoms and how they expanded choices for people. Well, George Osborne made a statement uh, which sounded fairly political in the sense that he said that no one will henceforth be forced to buy an annuity. 
So we're going to free the system up to ensure that people can have a choice as to what to do with their pension savings. And that choice enables them to, in some cases, take the whole lot in cash. In other situations, to use part of it in cash, there would still be a a 25% of the pot allowed tax-free. But basically, they could use their their pension pot a bit like a bank account in some situations by drawing out money as and when they needed it or set up uh, what became known as a, a flexible drawdown plan where they left the pot of money invested and, and just drew out sufficient amount every month or every week to enable them to um, manage their income needs. Claire, now you're a chartered financial planner as well as your current job in a previous life. That's what you used to do. So you're used to making uh, decisions and helping people out with, with investment decisions. All this increased flexibility that the pension freedoms gave to people, was it a good thing for most people who aren't investment experts? My own personal perspective was that when I heard the announcement, I um, I felt a little bit dismayed, to be honest. I thought this was going to be uh, bad news for the majority of people who I think freedom and choice sounds seductive. But if you don't understand the choices you're having to make, then you, as has been sort of proven, you'll often make um, you won't often make a choice that's in your best interest. And for the majority of clients I was advising, I was dealing with people who are above average levels of wealth, you know, really quite affluent people, generally um, degree educated or above, and obviously very proactive in the sense that they've gone and sought out a financial advisor, which they're paying for. And even these people, you know, with me one-on-one explaining drawdown, it's a lot for people to take on board. They struggle to get... Um, so I, I really feel for, you know, for people with who don't have that one-to-one contact, who don't have maybe the levels of engagement in their own finances or um, astuteness to handle it. I think it's a lot to take on board. It's important to note that one of the biggest changes since the pension freedoms came into force is that there's been a massive swing to people going into drawdown all these pension accounts where retirement money or the pension savings are kept invested in the stock market or in cash. Now, prior to the pension freedoms, going into drawdown was something that mainly wealthier, more sophisticated investors got into. So what are the risks of someone going into drawdown who isn't, doesn't really know what they're doing? Or they're not- well, I think as the, the Retirement Outcomes Review revealed that good proportion, people are, many people just want to get their hands on the tax-free cash. They don't really, they don't really want to think beyond that. So not using it as a vehicle. To no, people, um, people think in terms of their short-term need and what it is they're trying to achieve right then. Um, so a lot of people are just getting the tax-free cash and not really thinking in any great detail about what happens to the rest of the money. As the report shows, you know, a third are sitting in cash. Is is that the right place for them to be invested? Another third of them don't actually know where the money's invested yeah. at all. The real uh, the real winner for uh, pension freedoms has been the uh, conservatory companies and the uh, kitchen companies. <laughs> and that's the kind of... And I don't think there's anything wrong with people wanting to improve their lives and improve their home and take cash for that. I, I think what we're trying to do now is think about, well, actually, how can we make sure that the rest of their money is put to good use and that people are making the right choices for them? Malcolm, you've been watching this market for a few years now quite closely and it's fair to say it hasn't been a total disaster, at least there hasn't been a big rise in sales of luxury sports cars, if you want to use that as a barometer. Does that mean that people are making good decisions? Um, some are, um, particularly those who, who, who take the time and trouble to uh, investigate their options, uh, to speak 
perhaps a pension wise to get guidance and or in, indeed go to a, a financial advisor to get full financial advice those are the ones that are tending to do the right thing but of course not everybody wants to do that not everybody wants to pay for, for that financial advice and who can I afford think it they, they underestimate the significance of the decisions that they're making these are life-changing decisions which will determine how much uh, income they have uh, throughout for the rest of their lives and if they get it wrong then there are, there are major consequences on that. How are people getting it wrong then? Well, I, I, let me tell you, I, I spoke to a, a gentleman two days ago who I hadn't seen for a while, an intelligent man, uh, well-educated, been operative in business for, for quite some years, and he tells me that he was, he was coming up to 55 and he had a, a personal pension pot of money which he was able to access. And what he planned to do with it uh, was to take that money out and put it into a bank account from which he was then going to proceed to pay off his mortgage uh, and then uh, continue in work and build up his his pension from that point onwards. Now, he was going to get hit with, with two things there. He was going to pay tax on the withdrawal that he was making from the bank. He didn't understand that. And what did that mean for him in terms that of how much well, tax? Well, that meant that he would, he would, a lot of that would be uh, charged at 40%, the 40% Almost rate. wiping out. Because yeah. he wasn't a standard, he was only a standard rate taxpayer, but of course the, the impact of this big injection of money into into his into his income for, for that particular tax year meant that he, he would pay tax at 40%. But worse than that, I think, was the, not, not, not the fact that he was planning to pay off his mortgage, but the fact that it was going to be hit then by this newly reduced um, money purchase annual allowance, which meant that effectively he was limited to £4,000 a year to get uh, tax-free contributions. And uh, he hadn't hadn't heard anything about this, whether he'd been told about it or had missed it, I don't know. But basically, his plan was to get back his pension pot into more or less the same state it was in before he spent it all uh, so that he could retire comfortably in um, in 10 years' time. Now, the reality is that you will find that he will not get back to that situation and therefore he may even have to work on past uh, what he hoped would be his, his, his retirement age and there are employment implications in that for the employer as well. So people are still getting it wrong and uh, it's slightly worrying to, to hear those sort of stories, I think. It's time to draw on Sir Steve Webb now. You were pensions minister when these changes were announced in 2014 and famously declared that if people wanted to blow their pots on a, an Italian sports car, they could do it. You were relaxed about that. Now, having having seen how the pension freedoms have rolled out and Malcolm has just highlighted a particularly egregious tax trap that people just aren't aware of, but there have been even more serious problems coming up from scams and pension mis-selling to sort of less under the radar problems of high charges in, in drawdown. People don't know what they're doing or, or, or even where their money is invested. I mean, having heard all of this, do you still believe that these reforms were the right thing to do? Absolutely unreservedly, I do. And I think it's important to keep a sense of scale here. In your introduction, Joe, you talked about many people losing out and all this kind of thing. There have been some But huge numbers of people have used these freedoms to their advantage and they're very happy about it. And I think you were right to start off by contrasting where we came from. The government has just auto-enrolled 10 million people into pensions, mostly DC pensions, pot of money pensions. And those people were going to end up buying an annuity overwhelmingly. And the annuity market wasn't working. They were getting poor value. They weren't getting extra for poor health. And the crucial point I'd make, Joe, is they were locked in for life. Those are people who, if 
Once they bought that annuity, that was it till the day they died. Some of the folk we're talking about, and Claire's absolutely right, some people are putting money into cash accounts, and that's not good. We can fix that, because they've maybe been in cash for a year or two, and we can use regulatory nudges and all the rest of it. But that's very different from a world where when things went wrong, you were locked in for life. So I think this has given people new choices. All I would say is this is the only thing I think I did in the entire time in government that regularly people come up and thank me for because it's given them choices they didn't have before. And most people, as you say, have used them responsibly. But Malcolm's made some points here that people just aren't aware of the ways they can trip up. And isn't this the real problem? And it, and it goes back to the way the, the, the freedoms were announced and rushed through and came into force in 12 months with no time for the regulator to get prepared. We heard the FCA tell NPs that they're only catching up on the rules. So, I mean, was it responsible to push these changes through in 12 months? Imagine that George Osborne had stood up in 2014 and- and said we're going to do this in two years time we're going to have round tables with regulators and the industry you'd have had two years of chaos where people who might be coming up to retirement didn't buy an annuity so the annuity market would have been stalled as it was for one year but for two you'd have then had this massive flood of cash coming in on d-day in tw- what would then have been 2016 and it's difficult enough the, the flow after one year but two years worth of cash building up and to be honest Nobody has perfect foresight. When you do legislation, you never know with certainty, however long you take, what's going to happen. So, for example, nobody foresaw the volume of DB transfers that was going to happen. And you can see that in the tax estimates for what the Treasury thought they'd get. Now, would they have foreseen it if they'd spent two years, five years? And if you'd interviewed the public, the public wouldn't have known hypothetically what they would do. When the public were asked about auto-enrolment, a third said, oh, we'd have opted out under auto-enrolment. And when it actually happened, only 10% did. So you just can't put policy in place perfectly on day one with a full regulatory framework. Of course, you have a framework, Malcolm mentioned pension-wise, which we put in place on day one. But actually, regulation does need to evolve. And I, and I agree, it's not perfect. We're not there yet. It does need to evolve. Malcolm, what do you say to that, that it, well, these, the justification as to why these changes had to be rolled out in 12 months? Well, I hesitate to disagree with Steve, but I'm going to do, because I, I think this was unduly rushed through, and there may have been consequences, as Steve indicates, but the, the, the alternative was that for many, many people, they would embark into a, into a situation which was not in their best financial interests, and, uh, and that, was, that was a pity. Uh, Steve was responsible for the, uh, the new state pension, and auto-enrolment at a later stage anyway. And both of those were, were conducted in a fairly systematic way. There was a, there was a consultation with the pensions industry and other interested parties. Uh, and then a green paper was produced, I think in both cases, um, to get together people's views and ideas. And then the thing proceeded through to legislation. And both of those things work very well. But Malcolm, could I just say, but in the case of auto-enrolment, the regulatory framework has been evolving every year since. So even yeah. though we went through all that careful process, we then, had, for, for example, master trust regulation wasn't in for years after. So that's a classic example where years were taken. But, but people are losing money. They've, the lost, yeah, they've well, lost money to scam. They've, they've lost money in high charges. Yeah. I mean, is that an acceptable price to pay for freedom? Well, I think it's a question, again, of proportionality. Of course, every scam, you know, of course, these things need clamping down on. But at what point do you say, because some people 
will make poor choices. Nobody can have freedom. It is it is a balance. When you, you of course you have consumer protection, you protect as many people but, as you can. But there's huge consumer benefit from giving people freedom. But ha- had the industry been consulted and pensioner groups and, uh, and other interested parties, surely the, the question of scams would have been raised. And, and, and I don't think enough was done to uh, either stop scams or bring their the risk of them to the attention of the people who are starting off in, uh, under flexible arrangements. And, and we could anticipate scams coming up. We, we were setting up a situation where many, many people, for the first time in their lives, were given access to large sums of money, which made them an obvious target for scammers. And really, more should have been done at that early stage to anticipate that. I think, yeah, I think echoing, actually, I agree with what Steve says. I think giving people freedom and choice does sound like a good thing. But I think it is, I think, coming back to what Malcolm's saying, I think there's a bit, there's been a disconnect between the government announcing this and the regulator and industry being able to have the right sort of systems and processes in place. And I think what's being proposed now is great, but I feel like why could this not have been done quicker? As a financial advisor, a lot of us in the industry, we, we saw this coming. You know, we saw these errors happening. None of this, this sort of scary statistics surprised me that much. And I think just the speed with which um, regulatory framework moves is quite frustrating. Claire, what do you think about the, the measures that the FCA has proposed to make the freedoms a bit safer to improve protection, which includes default investment pathways for people going into drawdown, basically to guide them into sort of better retirement uh, options and making their charges clearer on drawdown, etc. Do you think they're going to make enough difference to make sure that people make better choices? I think it's definitely going in the right direction. And I think coming back to what Steve says, it's a bit of an evolution. And I think where we've come from is a place where the regulator insists that there's so many different risk warnings and so much information is given to people. But the problem there is then people drown in information and do nothing or do something that you wouldn't probably isn't. So this is going kind of taking a different perspective of saying, actually, let's just give them really clear, straightforward options. What is it? It's focusing on their goals, the pathways. What do they want to achieve? Is it a fixed income for life? Is it get all your hands on the money now? Is it dip into it as you want? And then it will default you. I presume, um, although it's not obviously it's up to, it sounds like they're not being too prescriptive in terms of individual providers can work out what that, investment pathway looks like for them hopefully that isn't going to lead to a situation where you know provider a offers a much better solution than provider b but i think it's definitely going some way malcolm the fca held off from imposing a charge cap on drawdown products uh it's relying on competition to drive down charges at the moment which is what it did getting people to shop around in the annuity market that doesn't that didn't work people didn't really shop around at the rate we would have liked to have seen so what do you think of the regulators remedies that they propose have they gone far enough do they need to go further i, I think the the regulator obviously takes its time about doing things the fca doesn't do speed they're, they're always sort of behind the, the the clock as it were on these things and i think it's something they will, they will need to look at they are proposing at the moment to bring in uh, reforms to draw down which will uh, enable people to actually think through what they're planning to do for the next five years and and, and for a, a suitable scheme to be adopted to fit in with the, with their particular needs the question of a cap on, on charges is something that i think regularly needs to be looked at but i think the the, the competition is often s- sufficient to uh, keep that, keep charges down to a level. And what we want to do is to try and encourage people to shop around before they set up their um, 
the, the drawdown deal. And that's that was a problem always with annuities as well, and it's still a problem now. So I think the, the more effort that can be put into encouraging that, and, and that's where financial advisor and the guidance services uh, have an important role to play. On the topic of guidance service, there is pension-wise, and that was one thing that you pushed to be rolled out alongside mm-hmm. the freedoms. Are you disappointed because the take-up and of that service hasn't really got to anywhere near the level of use of the pension freedoms? I, I think there's a misapprehension about the use of pension-wise because most people don't get their information by having a phone call or a face-to-face visit. Where do we all go and get our information? We go online. Millions of people have been to the PensionWise website. And as long as it was a good website, and I think it was, and the feedback from customers who've used PensionWise is very positive, I think far more people than we realise have accessed this Do you think they understand those options when set out to them fully? Is it equivalent to having a face-to-face discussion with an experienced advisor well, or guide. Of course it isn't but what I'm saying is in the world we live in it's unrealistic to suppose that most people were ever going to go to the local library and see the CAB or make an appointment to have a phone call. Most people were always going to go to a website and they did in their millions. Claire, I finally, think, what do you think about that, a website? I think the problem is most people don't know what they don't know. And the, again, the sort of people who were seeing me, often they'd already done pension-wise. They'd had a phone conversation, they'd had a face-to-face, and these people are still grappling to understand things. And I think I, I completely take on board, it's completely true, you can't force people to shop around for things, you can't force people to go and get advice. But I think the you know the proposals in here about, I think, nudging people earlier, so mm. sending people yeah. wake-up packs at 50, rather than, I think, the problem one of the problems is people were at 55 they'd heard that they could get their hands on the money by the time they actually got any paperwork they'd already made That's the right. decision yeah. so it was, it was almost a bit too little too late as in um, you know the industry needs to be more proactive. Malcolm used to head the, the pension advisory service mm. which which took over pension wise do you think that people would it would be valuable if more people used these free guidance these 45 minute sessions? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We, we used to find when, when I worked in, uh, in TPAS that uh, we were taking phone calls from people who didn't really understand the question they wanted to ask rather than the, uh, know the answer to it. So clearly, pensions are far too complicated for their own good and people do need help. And the, the anecdote I, I gave earlier on it illustrates quite clearly that just because somebody is, is well-versed in financial matters doesn't necessarily mean that they know pensions and they certainly don't know the tax situations. Pensions are complicated, tax are, tax is complicated, you put the two together and you've got a fairly toxic mix and people do need help even though they may not actually understand that they do need that help. I agree with Claire entirely, people don't know what they don't know in many situations. Steve, final question to you. The freedoms are popular, as you said, and it would take a brave politician to try and reverse them, but do you think that they need to be rowed back in any way? I certainly think we need to learn lessons, and ironically it's been the the recklessly cautious have been one of the big groups. Recklessly cautious yeah, being people who are just scared of spending it, basically. Uh, well, yeah, who, who as, as we've heard earlier, they want the tax-free cash, don't know what to do with the rest, don't trust pensions. I actually think there's a case for separating the taking of the tax-free cash from the taking of the rest of the money out of your pension. Why not leave the other three quarters where it was? That ought to be possible. It isn't at the moment, so that would improve things. So by no means am I saying that we've arrived and achieved you know, where we need to be. Much more needs to be done on you know, dodgy SIPs, investing in dodgy places. You know, there, is, there are things, and but that's a much bigger issue than pension freedoms. It was one that was there already. But I do think that it's made pensions popular, and who would ever have thought that was possible?
Just a quick final poll. Do you believe the pension freedoms will have to be rowed back? I think pension freedoms are here to stay, quite frankly. Uh, I think there is no major U-turn. I think in the light of experience, it may well be that there will have to be some changes made. But I think the big issue, as always with pensions, is communication, making sure that people do actually understand this. Unlike automatic enrolment, you can't rely on inertia in this situation. People have to take an interest in their pensions and we must do everything possible to give them the facts, give them the information and help them along the way. Claire, do you think uh, pension freedom will deliver true happiness over the long term? I think we're moving in the right direction and I think to end on a sort of more positive note, I think with auto-enrolment and more people across the age ranges engaging with their pensions, I think I can see a more positive future where people will engage and talk. Okay, whether the pension freedoms deliver true happiness, we shall be watching very closely. Then that brings our special show today to an end. It's time to say thank you very much to our guests, Claire, Malcolm and Steve. And a special thanks to Steve because you've been in the hot seat. We did um, ask a comment from George Osborne who was really the driving force behind this, but he must be too busy, busy? <laughs> editing the newspaper. And also we did invite the FCA to take part and explain to us about their rule changes, etc. but they hadn't put anyone forward. So if you like what you've heard today, you can read more about the pension freedoms in FT Money Online and you can also email us at money at ft.com. The FT Money podcast will return to normal service at the usual time next week with a full mix of personal finance news. Till then, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.